join me, if you would, in Ruth, uh, the second chapter this morning. While you're making your way there, I just I wanted to make a few comments this morning. I um, was thinking this morning, this year has been a, a unique year, to say the least, right? We woke up, uh, I think it was on... Uh, Saturday morning, I think it was a 4.6, um, is that right, uh, earthquake? And I just thought, well, I just pray that that's just kind of like the big thing, getting the big one out of the way, and then we're just going to kind of slide through the rest of the year. I don't know what, uh, we don't know what God has planned. It's just, I think that's what makes Christianity so unique, is that we serve a sovereign God that doesn't require of us to know what tomorrow holds. We don't, we don't need to know what tomorrow holds because we're trusting in the one who holds it, right? It, it, it's, a, it's a confidence in the one who has control of tomorrow. It's not a confidence that tomorrow is going to be what we'd like it to be. And I think as Christians, we have that. I mean, that's really what the world needs from us today more than anything else is it needs a people um, to walk amongst them and show them that it's going to be okay show them that there is one that they can trust. There is one that is, is worthy of being leaned on, um, pressed into in these difficult seasons. And that's Jesus Christ. I mean, he is the one that we trust as we uh, walk through life, that he is, he is worthy of our dependence. And, um, and that's what Ruth has been, has been telling us. But I, I wanted to say just a thing about last year. Last year was a, was a, a challenging year, but... I want to say something about Michael this morning. This was Michael's birthday week, and last year he celebrated 10 years of service to Grace Bible Church, and with all of the things that were going on, we didn't, we didn't have a way to properly um, reflect on the things that he has done for the church and what he has meant to the church and his stability and faithfulness, and, and he's always here, he's always going about 10 speeds faster than I am. I have to sometimes try to reel him in a little bit and say, can we talk? And he's always going, doing something. There's just so much to be done. Um, and he celebrated 10-year anniversary here at the church as, a, as a, a staff member, right? And then he celebrated, I think, what, 29-year birthday this year? <laughs> he's turned 60. Um, was it yesterday? January 1st, he turned 60. And so we just thank the Lord. I thank, I thank the Lord for Michael. And, and I think that you would, would all agree with that. And we're glad to have him around here. And um, he's been a real blessing. So thank you very much, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. Very appropriate. Um, let's, let's, let's look together this morning at Ruth 2. And my plan is to finish this chapter this morning. There's, there's a lot, as you guys have seen, as we've walked through Ruth um, somewhat methodically, systematically, that there's a lot there. And we could, we could fill our days and weeks and months with Ruth. We really could just unpack it verse by verse and, and, and really not unfold all that's there. My purpose in going to the book of Ruth was not to spend many, many months and years in it but really just to give you a, a narrative look at what's going on here and show you some of the connections to, to the gospel and what is Jesus Christ showing us in this Old Testament text, in this Old Testament narrative, what is he showing us 
about the New Testament narrative? What is he showing us about our, our day and age today? And we've seen already that um, Boaz represents Christ. He's a reflection of Christ in the New Testament. Ruth represents the lost, somebody who is a, a Moabite, uh, an unbeliever. And, um, and, and not just an unbeliever, but really somebody who is really just a, a desperate unbeliever. And they're they're an, an outcast unbeliever, an unworthy. And yes, that does describe all unbelievers, doesn't it? We want to politically correctly say that, but that's the reality. We're all, as unbelievers, outcast, unworthy, undeserving. And then um, Naomi represents an, a backslidden or somebody who is a follower of Christ who knows the truth but is... is is, is, is wayward and, and has, has walked away. Some trial or tribulation came, and we see it in the, in the first chapter, and, and she decided to go to, um, to Moab. And that's, that's where she went, and that's what a lot of us do in our Christian lives. We, we face difficulties and, and trials, and we go places that we shouldn't go. And we go there because we think that in that place we're going to escape that trial, and ultimately we end up losing far more where we went than we maybe we would have if we would have just stayed in that, in that trial, in that moment, in that suffering. Now that suffering, I, I thought about this last week too, in that suffering and, and in the suffering of 2020, we're stronger, right? We're, we're more, you don't, you don't get an athlete that's a great athlete that doesn't go through some trials. It doesn't actually hurt and feel pain and feel those muscles and you don't get a great athlete who doesn't go through those things in the in the same way you don't get uh, aspiring christians who don't go through what daniel went through and what david went through and what uh shadrach meshach and abednego went through and what the apostle paul went through and what job went through you don't get persevering christians without getting trials 2020, so I'm thinking up in heaven, we're, we're down here on earth and we're looking at 2020 and we're like thinking uh, that was the worst season of our life and, and I, I sometimes feel like God up in heaven is looking down at earth saying that was the best season of your life. There was no more important season than 2020 for you. And I just don't know if we have the, the right perspective sometimes on some, of these, on some of these things and I just pray that God would continue to do whatever he sees fit because I, I trust him, and I think you do as well. Chapter number two, and last week we just talked about the worthiness of our Redeemer. Jesus Christ is worthy. When Ruth goes into, comes back, with Naomi brings Ruth back to, to Bethlehem, um, she decides to go out and glean in the fields. She decides to go out into the fields, and that's where she's going to, to make her, um, provide her needs for her and Naomi. We talked about last week how gleaning in the fields was something a little bit more significant back in those days because you made you 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 became a possession, if you will. You belonged to the owner of that field. It was a very important thing that you that you chose a right field because when you became when you belonged to a uh, a harsh owner, your your life would be a very very difficult life. But when you re, when you belonged to a gracious owner, your life would be a very, very good life. We live in a culture today where we don't want to belong to anybody, or we think we don't want to belong to anybody, so our our goal and our pursuit is to be free from belonging. When the reality of it is, when when we seek to be free from belonging, we ultimately become a 
we ultimately begin to belong to something that is not good. We belong to the flesh, we belong to sin, we belong to self. We become a slave of many, many other what we would call evil things. We all belong to something. The issue is, is who do you belong to? Who, are, who is your master? Who is your Lord? And it's not a negative thing to belong. It's a positive thing. It's a, a gospel thing. A Christian, a, a, a sinner, comes to the Lord because he realizes that what he belongs to is horrible. What he belongs to has is, is got him in bondage. It's, it's slavery that leads to destruction, and he no longer wants to be a slave to destruction, so he comes seeking a deliverer, and he finds that deliverance in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ delivers him from sin. Remember what he says in Matthew, that Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sins. He delivers us from our old master of sin, and he sets us free to a, a new master, which is that of Christ, righteousness. First Corinthians or Romans 6 is very clear on that. You are either a slave to sin and, and destruction, or you are a slave to righteousness and eternal life. There is no middle of the road. There is no third option. There is no not belonging. The world doesn't get that what they're seeking what they're seeking when they say they're seeking freedom is simply a reflection of the fact that they're in absolute bondage. And the believer who has been set free from that bondage doesn't seek to be free, but a believer seeks to be in bondage. Not in bondage to sin, not in bondage to self, but, it, but a believer seeks to belong to the one who is a great master. It's like having a life that is miserable and giving that up for a life that is extraordinary because you belong to something that is, is, is gracious and you'll never want to give that up to go back over here to this. In the second chapter of Ruth, Ruth begins to glean in these fields. I mean, she's looking for a master who is a gracious master. She's, an unworthy, she's literally like the prodigal son. As a matter of fact, Ruth is compared to the prodigal son in the New Testament. She's like the prodigal son who comes home and falls in front of their father saying, make me one of your servants. There's no demands here. There's no, there's no I have all of these demands that you do these things for me. Ruth realizes that she's completely unworthy. When she comes saying... I'll do whatever, but she, she happens to come into or she's guided by God into the field of Boaz who is a gracious master. He is a, a kind master. He's a loving master. She finds her life is so much more fulfilled and satisfied by belonging to Jesus than by, than by quote unquote not belonging to anyone. As a matter of fact, in chapter number two, the question is asked, who does this woman belong and the answer that is given literally is no one. Because belonging to, belong, being quote unquote free, as this world would want you to believe, is not that which satisfies, it's being in a relationship and being and belonging to somebody who is gracious and who adds value to an invaluable person. We want to remember and note that as a Moabite, as a Moabite, what Ruth understood was outside of a gracious master, she had no hope. 
outside of finding someone that was going to show her grace and favor and kindness, she had no hope. And the same thing is very true about Christians or about, about unbelievers, about people, humanity as a whole, is that without, without grace, without unmerited favor from God, we, we have no hope. We have no hope. So the second chapter of Ruth is written to give us, it's a, if you were to think of it like an engagement process, it's this process by which Boaz seeks to convince Ruth to stay in his fields. He seeks to convince her that he is, he is a worthy landowner. He is, he is worthy for her to not just belong to him, but worthy for her to desire to belong to him. The Lord is not just in the business of getting people to belong to him because, we, because we're fearful. The Lord is in the business of getting us to belong to him because we want to, right? He says, if you love me, John 15, John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, or if you love me, you will belong to me. The Lord is not in the business of us, of us following him out of fear. He wants us to follow him out of love. He wants us to follow him out of the fact that we understand his character. We know who he is. And listen, the more 2020s we can experience, the more we, we will be likely to connect ourselves to somebody who is in control of 2020s. It's the people who never have a 2020 that don't connect themselves to somebody who's in control. They just think that it's all accidental. So Ruth is gleaning in the fields. She comes across Boaz's field and she connects herself. She, becomes a, or she begins to belong in chapter 3 and 4 to that landowner. She becomes his, his, his bride or his wife, which is a picture of a relationship with Christ. But what we've been wrestling through the last two weeks is just simply, what is it about Boaz that was so attractive to her? What was he presenting about himself that was just like, that's where she wanted to be? I mean, she, she, in, in many cases, in chapter number two, she falls down and she's like, why have you found favor with me? Why are you being so kind to me? Why are you showing me this love and this compassion? Why are you doing this to me? She, she just cannot grasp it because Boaz is just pouring out this favor on this woman who is completely humbled and completely undeserving, and she gets it. She gets that's who she is. So all this favor means so much more when the recipient of this favor is completely humbled by her own condition. And so true about us as well. As we go through life, the more we realize how unworthy we are in ourselves, the more thankful we are for our great and marvelous Savior Jesus Christ and Redeemer. So we looked last week at four things that are in the text, chapter number two, that were reflective of why Christ Jesus and why Boaz is worthy for us to belong to him, for us to let him be our master and our Lord, for us to submit to him, for us to put ourselves under his authority, accept whatever he decides is meant for us to go through, to just trust him fully. And there are four things that we saw in this in this passage last week, that are both Boaz and Christ as reasons why we would do that. Number one was found in verse number one, which is he was worthy. You remember speaking about the fact that he came from the right family, that he had enough money to make the payment to purchase the land and to purchase 
um, Ruth. He had the right character to be a good to be a good man to her. Everything about Boaz was right from a financial perspective, from a uh, genealogical perspective, and from a character perspective. And the same is is true about Christ. They were responsible. Both Christ and Boaz sought to take full responsibility for Ruth and for us. Jesus Christ took full responsibility for us, for our sins, for our needs, for our desires. Everything about us, Jesus Christ takes responsibility for. In many ways, he is our representation. We saw also in chapter number 2 the graciousness of Christ and Boaz. The fact that Boaz did not mention anything negative about Ruth at all. I think I, I told my wife, I was like, listen, I wish I could be more like Boaz as a husband. I mean, I, I, I'm not like that. I struggle with noticing the negative things. But in all of the things that Ruth says about herself, that the narrator says about her, that Naomi says about her throughout the book of Ruth, all of the negatives that Boaz could mention, he mentions zero. That is grace, isn't it? That is grace at its climax. When God looks down from heaven and sees all of us in our fallen, sinful, depraved condition, and by His grace only sees the good, that is amazing grace, isn't it? And that is only possible because of what Jesus Christ has done. He is our mediator, and God the Father can look down from heaven and can see us in Christ, in all of our flaws and all of our failures, and He can see us perfectly in Christ. It's an extraordinary truth. Grace is the antithesis of law. Law says, I remember everything bad you do and nothing good you do. You will never get stopped for going below the speed limit. The law only recognizes when you go above the speed limit. And when you go above the speed limit, the law doesn't ask you how many times did you go below the speed limit. It doesn't care. All it cares about is, is that you broke it, and now you must be punished for it. Grace is the opposite of that. Grace only notices when you do what is good, and it seeks to reward you fully for what you have done that is good. It doesn't ask you, when you do that righteous act, it doesn't ask you, well, how many times did you fall on your face? Grace doesn't do that. Grace just says, great, great job. And it doesn't even notice those things. Jesus and, and Boaz are gracious. And they are gentle and compassionate. We see that as well in chapter number 2. And then this morning we have three other things that I, wanted, I want us to see in about Boaz's character and about Christ's character from this book that I pray will, will draw you in. If you're a believer this morning, I pray it will draw you into a deeper intimacy with Christ, a, a further trust in Him, a like, man, I, I, I have an... I mean, it's like, right, all guys wish that their wives would say, I have an extraordinary husband, right? <laughs> Amen, guys? Amen. Come on now, get with it. This is your chance. All men wish that their wives would say, I have an extraordinary husband, right? We have an extraordinary husband, we, haven't, we can say that with full confidence, can't we? Because we are the bride of Christ, and he is an extraordinary husband. He is displaying to Ruth in chapter number 2 how extraordinary he is, and he's displaying that to us in the New Testament as well, making this connection. So let me give you these last three thoughts this morning. 
Number one, or number five, if you're taking notes with the entire sermon, number, number five is they are satisfying. Notice in Ruth 2 and verse 14, the Bible says, And at mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And then she also had some left over. And then going down in verse 17, the Bible says, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, about 28 pounds of barley. This was a very significant amount of barley for her to glean out. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Both Boaz and Jesus Christ are, are fully satisfying to those who belong to them. This word literally means to be full. If you've ever eaten a meal before, right, you, Thanksgiving is a good time to kind of reflect on. You eat a meal, and when you're done eating that meal, you feel full, right? And, and maybe to an abundant level you feel full. Maybe you feel overly full. You are definitely satisfied with the food that you have eaten. And maybe it's not Thanksgiving, and maybe it's not even food, maybe it's something else, but there's something in your life that when you do it, there's a, there's a level of satisfaction or gratification that you get from having done that thing. The word that's used here is to describe a full satisfaction, a full gratification that in this moment, Ruth is fully and completely satisfied with all that she needs from and by Boaz. Not from any other field, not from gleaning in this or that, but she's completely and totally satisfied by Boaz. We see the same principle in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus Christ displays himself as being fully satisfied. The word means to be full, to be enough, to be complete, to be abundant, to be fulfilled, or to be satisfied. It can relate to food, it can relate to drink, it can relate to just purpose in life. That life becomes satisfying. As a Christian, life becomes more satisfying than it is for somebody who is an unbeliever. For Boaz, this meant the following. It meant assuring that Ruth had all that she needed and more. It meant assuring that Ruth felt completely safe. One of the greatest ways in which we feel that satisfaction or gratification in life is to know that we're safe, we're secure, and we have all that we need. These are things that, that demolish worry and complaining and murmuring. It meant assuring that Ruth had a fulfilling purpose. Not just that she was satisfied with food and, and raiment, but that she had a fulfilling purpose. That she became a significant person. She ultimately ends up marrying Boaz. And based upon Boaz's significance, Ruth becomes very significant as well. I know that may sound a little bit not politically correct, but listen to, my, listen to me, my friends. Our significance doesn't come by who we are. It comes by who Christ is. 
If you're building a significance based upon your own merits, that significance will ultimately crumble underneath you like a a man building his house upon the sand. It will, when the storm comes, it will crumble. But Jesus Christ is satisfying and makes us have a fulfilled purpose in him and in his purpose. It means assuring that Ruth knew that she was accepted and that she fit in. She wasn't an outcast any longer. For Jesus Christ, this means the following, assuring that believers have all that they need and more. Philippians 4 and verse 19 says, My God shall supply all of our needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Matthew 6 tells us not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about the things of itself. It tells us that we have all of the things that we need, and we have all of the things that we need in Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. I submit to you this morning that for many of us, we have never found satisfaction in Christ. We have never found completeness in Christ. We've never found purpose in Christ because we're not belonging to Christ. We're meddling with Christ. We're playing games with Him. We want to not go to hell. We get all of that. That's our, that's our key motivation. But there's something different about somebody who wants a husband who will maybe bail them out of jail and somebody who wants a husband who will be intimate with them. It's different. Christ is not wanting us to want Him to bail us out of hell. He wants us to have an intimacy with Him. He wants us to belong to Him. He wants us to be satisfied in Him, to be connected to Him, to be committed to Him, to be devoted to Him. He wants all of those things, and only then will you find satisfaction in Him. I sometimes find it, I find it difficult to understand. I talk to people who, quote-unquote, have committed their lives to Jesus, but you, you can see it's always been this game, and they've always been frustrated, and they're just like, it's never kind of worked. The issue is is they're just meddling with Jesus. They haven't found him to be the one that he is. They haven't accepted Jesus for who he is. They have manufactured a Jesus of their own liking. And for them, they will play the game with Christ until they ultimately stand before him. Believers have all that they need. It It is assuring that believers feel completely safe. I think of... Romans 8, nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We feel completely safe and feel completely secure in Christ. That is His responsibility. That is what He is doing for us in His character. He is working out for us our security. I'm reminded that the security of the believer is so important because it leads to confidence, boldness, and restfulness. 1 John 5 and 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might know that you have eternal life, and that you might continue to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. It is the knowledge of who we are in Christ, and the knowledge of who He is in us that leads us to a confident, bold, restful Christian life. The alternative is fear. And fear leads to compromise, passivity, and worry. He assures that we're, we have all that we need. He's assured that we're safe in His care and under His wings. 
He's assuring that we have a fulfilled purpose. Not just a temporary purpose, but we have an eternal purpose. We have a big purpose. God has a plan for us, and Christ is that plan. Believers should have a fulfilled life. John 10 and verse 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life, that they might have it abundantly. This is the words of Christ to his people. He assures that believers are accepted and fit in. Believers belong to something. Believers belong to someone who is significant. And because of who we belong to, we become significant. Our purpose becomes significant, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. A believer is complete. A believer is satisfied with and in Christ. Listen to what He says in these verses. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Psalm 23 and verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then Matthew 14, or Matthew 13, 43 and 44, the Lord says that a man who finds Christ will sell all that he has. For the joy of having Christ, he will sell all that he has. Not so that he can have Christ. Get this. He's not selling what he has so that he can have Christ. He's selling what he has because he doesn't need it anymore. Don't confuse that with selling all that you have so that you can then buy Christ. It is the joy of the treasure that he has found that causes him to sell all that he has. Christ is all-satisfying. Christ is all-fulfilling. Christ is everything that we need. He's everything that we could ever desire. But Satan has definitely put a spin on things to make us question that as a reality. Let's go on. They are satisfying, number one or number five. Number six, they are spiritual. Listen to what he says in Ruth 2 and verse 12. In other words, Both Boaz and Christ had an eternal perspective. They had a a different perspective on things than we do. They looked at things differently. He says in verse number 12, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Notice that Boaz recognizes that while Ruth was taking refuge under his wings... Right? Boaz knows this. It's not about Boaz. Boaz is not the one providing protection and provision for Ruth, is he? Boaz is not the one giving Ruth a safe place to live, is he? Boaz is not the one doing these things. What what Boaz understands is it's God that's doing this. Boaz sees it all as being gifts from God on him through which he becomes a conduit to give to other people. Oh, that we could get this reality in our own lives, that we could see ourselves simply as ministers of the goodness of God, that God has given us or made us His hands and His feet in this world today, and it is not we who are doing anything, it is He who is doing everything through us. And therefore, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. 
It is not me who is ministering the Word of God to you this morning. It is the power of God's Spirit. It is not the singing group up here that wants praise. It is God who is doing those things through us. Boaz could have said, Hey, you came and sought refuge under my wings, Ruth. You came and sought protection under my wings, Ruth. You came and sought provision under my wings, Ruth, right? No, he said, you came and sought those things from God, and God is using me as a vessel to minister them to you. We are the hands and the feet of the Lord. Oh, that we could, we could understand that reality and therefore praise Him for all that He has done. Chapter 2 and verse number 20, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living, living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of one of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi also understands in this situation that this is God's work. Boaz has been planted there. Boaz has been placed there. Ruth has happened upon the field because Ruth was put there. Naomi understands that there's more to this than meets the eye. There's more to this situation. There's more to this scenario than meets the eye. And you're not a child of God this morning by accident. You're a child of God this morning by God's grace. By His sovereign grace, He has brought you into His family, not so that you might serve yourself, so that you might serve Him and that you might serve others. For Boaz, this meant that life was more than physical. It was doing God's work. It was, providing and pro- it was providing provision and protection for God's people. It was stewarding his time, his money, his talents, and his possessions for the use by God. This is what Boaz understood. His life was about serving the Lord. Boaz realized that he was a means by which God would show himself to Ruth. And not just to Ruth, but to all of his servants. Boaz understood that the type of master that I am will be the type of master that they expect God to be. And I will surrender to you and submit to you dads who are in here this morning that that same principle applies to you. The type of father that you are will be the type of father that people see God as. And moms, the same principle applies to you with Christ. You are Christ in that relationship. The type of submission that you show will be the type of submission that your daughters and your sons will see Christ showing. Submission is not a, submission is not a cuss word, my friend. Submission is ver- the very epitome of the life of Christ. The second person in the triune Godhead, equal and uh, significant with the Father, but yet submissive to him. We must realize, my friends, that our work is not our work, it's his work. Our money is not our money, it's his money. Our time is not our time, it's his time. Our talents are not our talents, they're his talents. Our possessions are not our possessions, they're his possessions. Boaz got that. Boaz understood that. But not only did Boaz understood that, Jesus understood that. Everything that Jesus Christ did on this earth was in submission to and devotion to the will of his Father who was in heaven. 
It was for the good of his people, but it was in submission and surrender to the God who was in heaven. He provided peace with God in heaven. He provided spiritual and eternal help, spiritual bread, spiritual water, spiritual light, spiritual guidance, spiritual hope. Everything that Jesus Christ did was to make us secure and safe spiritually in the arms of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ's work was distinctly spiritual. It was far more internal than it was external. It was far more eternal than it was temporary. Jesus Christ works on the heart. He is worthy because He is satisfying. He is worthy because He is spiritual. He sees beyond the natural and sees into the realm of the spiritual. He sees beyond what we see and He sees what we need. And then finally this morning we see in verse 21 of the second chapter of Ruth, that they are finishers. Both Boaz and and Jesus are finishers, meaning that they complete what they start. The Bible says in verse 21, And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides this, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all of their harvesting. And we see this principle in the last part of the second chapter of Ruth very clearly laid out for us that Ruth's provision and Ruth's protection and Ruth's fulfillment was not something that was going to end at any certain place in time. Boaz was not going to turn his back on Ruth ever. He was never going to forsake her. She wasn't there being taken care of for a season. She was there being taken care of forever. She was there to be taken care of forever. She was there to belong forever. He was going to continue to, and ultimately she becomes his bride, so we get how that all works out. But but Boaz was going to provide for Ruth forever, continuously is is the idea in the text. And the same principle is true about Christ. He's not just going to provide our needs temporarily. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15 says this, if your hope in Christ is for this life only, you are of all men most to be pitied. Truly, our hope in Christ is not necessarily focused on this life, but our life in Christ is focused on the next life. It is what He is preparing for us that we anticipate. Yes, I believe that I am under His care and His provision and protection today, and I believe that He is that he cares about all of the things that I go through in my life, but I think it's going to be even more significant when I enter into his kingdom for eternity to be with him. Boaz didn't quit, nor does Christ. For Boaz, this meant a a perpetual offer to glean in his field, a perpetual offer of protection and provision, a perpetual offer of not being forsaken or pushed away, He was offering her a permanent solution and a permanent place. For Jesus Christ, he does the same thing. He's not offering us a temporary fix. He's offering us a permanent fix. He's not offering us temporary satisfaction. He's offering us eternal satisfaction. He's not offering us temporary provision. He's offering us eternal provision. Listen to me, folks. The alternative of Christ is nothing It's like standing there and looking at two apple trees and you're hungry and you're starving and one apple tree has a million apples on it and the other apple tree has no apples on it. The the answer, the conclusion is simple, isn't it? 
But yet Satan puts a lot of pretty things on this empty apple tree to make you think, oh my goodness, look at how beautiful that tree is. Well, you're not there for the beauty of it, my friend. You're there for the apples. When you're starving spiritually, you're not there to get some things that are beautiful. You're there to get the Isaiah 53 where there was no beauty found in Christ. There was no beauty found in Him, but you weren't there for His beauty. You were there for His forgiveness. You were there for His grace. You were there for His provision and His protection. You were there for more than His beauty. Christ Jesus will not, He will not quit on you. He will never give up. He will keep chasing you and pursuing you, just like He did Jonah. You will be in the belly of a fish at some point in time, not physically, but spiritually. Life will feel miserable at some point. But listen, God is working. He's chasing you. He's pursuing you because He loves you. It's not because He hates you or is angry with you. He loves you and He knows what's best for you. He always completes what He starts. He always redeems what He chooses to redeem. And once He redeems you through faith, He pursues you through life. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He hath said, Listen, why should we keep our life from idols and why should we keep our life from the pursuit of money? Because the Lord's character is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Philippians 1 and verse 6, the Bible says, For I am sure of this, that he who hath began a good work in me will bring it to completion. Amen? You believe that this morning? Do you believe that he who hath begun a good work in you will bring it to completion? Listen to me. Believing that will change your life. Believing that will change your perspective. Believing that will change how you face trials and tribulations. Believing that will change how you face 2020 and how you face 2021. He's doing a work. He's drawing you to himself. He's better. He's better than anything else. Has he drawn you to himself this morning? Are you convinced of his worthiness? Are you trusting and do you belong to him by faith? Remember this, while he promises earthly struggles, he provides spiritual gratification, forgiveness, spiritual bread and water, peace with God, hope for eternity, and hope for today, purpose, security, and rest. All the devil does in alternative to that is he promises you sin, he promises you gratification, he promises you temporary fulfillment, but what he ultimately provides for you is spiritual and eternal death. It seems like the choice is easy. Imagine yourself standing before and having two men presented to you, ladies, one you're supposed to choose to be your husband, one that you will have care for you and provide for you and protect you for the rest of your life, one who you will find your fulfillment in, one that you will find your purpose in, one that you will find your person in. You're to find all of those things in one of these two people. What I have presented to you this morning says to me that Jesus Christ is the only choice for that role. Matter of fact, I would say to you that it's a no-brainer. From this chapter, 
We can learn lessons about how to be a good person. We can learn lessons about how to marry right, ladies. And it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to learn some lessons from that. However, what I want you to remember is the point of this text is to show you that Jesus Christ is worthy. It is to show you that it is a good thing to belong to him, a good thing to trust in him, a good thing to submit to him. He alone is able, and he alone has promised that he will redeem you for eternity's sake. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your glorious grace. Thank you for being a, a, a husband that, Lord, it's, it's hard to fathom. As a husband myself, Lord, I fall short so much, and yet I know that I have a perfect example. I have a, a perfect relationship, a one a relationship with the one who is perfect. I thank you so much for the salvation that you have provided for me and for all those who will come to you in faith and repentance, for all those who will belong to you. And no different than Ruth gleaning in the fields and coming across this, this gracious landowner. Lord, may if there's someone here that doesn't, hasn't met that gracious landowner, Lord, please introduce yourself to them today and bring them to a place where they see you as glorious. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time together. And thank you for your word and for your church. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Just a few things in closing. Um, we sent out this week, sent out some reading. Read through the Bible in a year. You probably received it on email. I think we have some printed copies here inside. So you can take one of those. One is just the Gospels. It's, it's read the Gospels through in a, not one time in a year, but read them through several times in a year. The emphasis, the emphasis is, is becoming familiar with Jesus. And the other one is just reading through the Bible in a year, depending on where you are at. Um, you got it electronically via email, but feel free to take one of those home with you. And, um, and this year, just grow in your knowledge of the one to whom you have been engaged and married. And the marriage feast is coming. Lord bless you.